Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Today, I have the very great pleasure of chatting to someone who has spent their entire career at one university. He started out as entertainment's and marketing manager for the Students' Union and is now Director of Commercial Services for Lancaster University, as well as being Chair of CUBO, the University Colleges and Business Officers Association. As you're about to hear, he has a wonderfully honest and down-to-earth approach, which I love. And it's for this reason I cannot wait to dive into his career and his thoughts about commercial services in higher education. Please welcome Joe Hardman. Hi, Joe. Hi. How are you? Enthusiastic for the world at the moment, definitely. I think that um, it's sunny outside, which is a good start. It's not too hot. It's perfect weather as far as I'm concerned. We are coming out of COVID and yes, the world feels positive at the moment. Uh, in some ways, I mean, subject to national and international issues. But at a personal level, I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So today we're going to dive deep into your career which in this day and age, it, even within the higher education sector, it's quite unusual to stay at one university and find that career progression. So perhaps you could start by giving listeners a potted history, maybe, of, of your journey to date so far. So it's worse that it's not just career. I actually came to Lancaster as a student. And one of the things, and I think it's actually something about career in general, is I'm an opportunist. Some people would think of that as a negative thing. If opportunities come, grab them. And I think it's a really important thing to do. So my first job was entertainment marketing manager. The reason I got that was because someone got drunk. Um, and so the, the person who'd previously done a part-time job had got drunk on the Monday morning afterwards, was told that, you know, we no longer want your services. And someone bumped into me and said, you like music, you've done some DJing, we've got the Lars in on Thursday, can you sort it out? That's not how you do job interviews nowadays. And I temporarily did that job and, and then uh, applied for it. It's always an advantage when you're already doing a job. And then actually there was a restructuring and I was about to be made redundant. And a few years later, as uh, they were restructuring, and the day I went in to sort this out, someone else resigned and they had been doing uh, research projects and someone said you seem to have the skills would you be interested so I, I picked up that job that was an opportunity that came I could have walked away and I think my life would have been very very different but I think for me the thing with that was it was actually research into pastoral support systems for students 
So I looked at that and I wrote the student's charter when student charters were a big thing back in the 90s. I wrote that for the university as the first thing. Then I worked within the student's union and I continued doing marketing and business development. And that was running nightclubs, that was marketing business, uh, sales, events, um, retail, a, a number of commercial businesses. And I progressed through the organization from doing bits of it to doing more of it. And eventually, a job came up in the university, which was not even the current job, but a, a similar job about 10 years ago. And I'd sat there looking at the university doing this and thought, hmm, that's quite interesting. There's a bit of history behind. At the time, I didn't apply for the job for the first time. It went out again and I, I then applied and uh, was successful in that job. And so... I then took over the commercial services, which at the time was conferences, retail, preschool, and a number of other areas. And then on top of that, in the last five years, accommodation was brought in. So in line with a lot of other universities, most activity that, that is paid for on the campus sits with me. So I've, I've sort of progressed from putting on bands through to, ironically, conversations now about how we put on more bands and things to create a vibrant campus life. So uh, whatever I do, I can't escape that element of it, although I won't be doing that, but there's obviously conversations about it. And I think at the heart of it, nothing's really changed at one level. It's how do you make the campus a better place to be? And at the heart of it, that's what runs through everything I've done. There's always a joke about moving from the students' union to the universities moving to the dark side. And it's interesting, wherever you go, it's called that. Um, it's not. Shock horror, you know, actually, when you work for the university, you still care about the students. And actually, you do focus on that just as much, if not sometimes more in some ways. But yeah, at the heart of it is, how do you make the services and the infrastructure, the day-to-day -day things that go on in the university, engaging, attractive, and... Yeah, a worthwhile experience. So if you like, that's this core skill that has seen you on your journey through your career. Uh, passion probably is rather than skill. And, and I think it's make the world a better place in small ways. Um, and I think it's one of the things, and I think it's actually, this is about leadership. One of the things is what can you actually impact upon? As opposed to, you know, I actually can't personally do a great deal about the world situation i'm not saying there's nothing i can't do and I, I won't avoid those things but what i can do is turn around and look at what makes the people around me have a better existence we just happen to use commercial and money-making ways of doing that yeah absolutely so you talked about you're an opportunist if you were to dive into that a little bit more for people out there listening, maybe starting out their career in universities and thinking, I love this environment, this is where I'd like to stay, but I want to move up through my career. What have been the key learnings for you that you could share with somebody in that position now that might be helpful? Always be looking at how you can personally do better. And I'm actually quite bad at that sometimes. We all get into ruts of what our own skills are. And I think as you get older, you sometimes play to your strengths and sort of try and hope that they overbear your weaknesses. And I certainly do that. 
I think it is, it's about, I would call it opportunity, but it's also, you know, if something needs doing, put your hand up. Look at how, I mean, I shouldn't say this because in this day and age, this is not how you do employment, but always be aiming to be doing the job ahead of where you are now. You might not get paid for it, but do it. And then actually, eventually, you hopefully get paid for the job. So always be enthusiastic for what will be the next step. It should never be, that's not my job, is the wrong answer. Um, It's how do I make it my job? And sometimes that might be, that's not my job because I really don't want to do it. And sometimes you have to do those things. But actually, in I think many organisations, if you've got the job that you enjoy in the first place, so if you're already in an area that you, you sort of like, then I think is how do you expand that? It comes back to that influence. How do you expand your influence? How do you take the next step? And, and don't wait for the next step. Actually take it. You know, there will always... I won't say there always, there are good and bad organisations, but I would like to think there, are, there should always be opportunities that come up that you can put yourself forward for. And that may be formal secondments, that might be formal ways of doing things, or, you know, as I say, in my case, a job came up that I was going to be made redundant, a job came up that was doing research into pastoral support systems. Well, I thought it was important, didn't know it, but then spent the time doing what was necessary to make that happen so it's it's when the opportunity comes but sometimes it is make that opportunity I think I love that about saying yes and in essence you're saying put yourself outside of your comfort zone and see what happens see what you learn yeah it depends on who you are as well I think on that particular thing because it depends on how comfortable you are with change and how comfortable you are with learning and therefore this is something that suits me And for some people, that may be much more of a challenge. But I think if it is a challenge, you probably still need to think about how it is, because I can't be the only person who's always looking at you, look at your staff and go, well, which ones are ready for the next step? Because you're seeing you're seeing them pushing and pushing and pushing. And you're going, I can see the competencies there already. And I've got some, you know, people who have a comfort zone. But actually, if you spend the time talking to them, and, and maybe that's the way I have relationships with people. I, I have a colleague yesterday who I spoke to the day before about something and said, and they're very, very sort of like, they like to really understand something before they get their teeth into it. And I got very aware that that's how I deal with this particular person. We have a very good working relationship because they know that I'll always come with something that's a bit of a challenge and idea. But I also know that if I give them the time, they always rise to it. You shouldn't assume someone does something the same way as you, but at the same time, I still want to get to the same sort of result that someone's going to push. And it may be that someone pushes really hard on producing the most brilliant reports, you know, the things that I, I can do, but it's not the most, so that's got great analysis, that they sit in a darkened room and do that stuff. Do it brilliantly, go fantastic. Do the best you can. That's great advice, isn't it? Because... Underneath that, I guess what you're saying is, is understand yourself. So recognising that there are those of us that are happy with change and will go for it and say yes. And then there are those of us who want it, but actually we need to figure out how we can find our path. And that might not be by immediately saying yes. And if it's not, it's thinking about, well, what is holding me back? How do I deal with that? So that then I can say yes. I think one of the things, though, is, is, is always to be slightly unsatisfied 
<laughs> I don't mean miserably unsatisfied. You know, we, you know, one should be hungry, but you know, no one wants to go in and have a meal. You don't want to have a meal when you've just eaten one before. So I think that's the one. You know, that sense that there's something a bit more. Love that, and I love that point that you made that we are all different and therefore the way that we interact with each other has to be different as well it's a big realization for me and i think you know going digging deep that's probably the thing that in recent years has changed me the most is the understanding that everyone's not like me we all know it it's one of those things that you know but you don't live it so you can turn around and go, look, you, you and I are not the same. You know, you obviously like pink. I like blue. Actually, not true. I really like pink too. But not that shade of pink. It's a bit it's a bit strong for me. But I do like pink. But, you know, we're all different. And we see those things at a certain level. But we don't actually internalise and understand that difference and what the impact of that difference is. So I think I may have spoken to you previously about insights. And whether it be that or whether it be Myers-Briggs or whether it be any of these things that help you reflect for me it's not what you are that's the most important it's actually realizing that other people are something else is more important than knowing what you are because actually if you're reasonably reflective you read these things and you go yeah all right okay I can see that but you probably sort of already know it or I, I certainly do some people may react differently but what for me was really different was looking and going Oh, crikey. Some people love, as I said earlier, time to reflect. People love, you know, the time to think about things. And they will still come forward with amazing, brilliant things, but they do it differently. And for me, working with people who are different is often the best. I wouldn't like many of me in an organisation. I mean, it would be a nightmare. It might be fun, but I'm not sure anything would ever happen. You need a mixture of people. And I think... But then acknowledging, and I think particularly around leadership, is understanding that and therefore how you get the best out of people. Absolutely. And when I'm working with people, that's what I encourage them to do, to actually not focus on the people that they find easy to work with, but those people that trigger them or they find difficult and actually to explore that because, as you say, that's where you get the learning and also the appreciation because from the conversations we've had, I think we're quite similar. We've had a very similar career journey. So you and I in a room together working on a project probably wouldn't be. It would be fun. It would be fun. It would be great fun, let's be honest. But I think the only thing I'd say on this, and this is the one thing is, is that, and it's something I read recently about, and someone connected with Warren Buffett. It wasn't Warren Buffett who said it. Because there's this comment about, you know, the thing that we all know, that the most important part of our organisation is our people. We say it all the time we even mean it quite a lot of the time but there was a secondary and I can't remember and I need to keep my language fairly decent at this point but actually there's a what it fundamentally said is this is all very true but then there are some people who are not only different or actually maybe the same but are just not the right people and I think one of those things is, is that you do also need to face up to the not right people and what you're going to do about that. So, you know, someone I've worked with previously talked about um, getting everyone on the bus. Well, if they're not on the bus, you need to confront that issue, which in higher education is extremely challenging. 
anyone who works in higher education will recognize that dealing with problems can, you know, there's the 80-20 rule anyway, at best of times. But in university, I think it can be 99-1, the amount of time you can have to spend for a period on dealing with difficulties. And this is one of the, the negative things sometimes that we have to deal with. I'm very lucky. I've got some brilliant people around me. And I think often they are, but you are right. We do have to look at those people that aren't getting on the bus or, or just aren't the right fit and how we deal with them. And I'm, I mean, I can feel a podcast episode coming on that is totally dedicated to that, or maybe a series of 10, because I know it's a big issue for people. That's brilliant. Your career's obviously taken you in lots of different directions, so much so that you have been a board member of Cubo, the Colleges and University Business Officers Association, for a number of years, and you are currently chair. So mm. how have you found that role? Oh, it's a lot of fun. Because it, I won't call it power without responsibility because it's not a huge amount of power. We've got some great staff. We're a small organisation with three staff, but they do the work, even more so than I do on my day job, where I will always say that, you know, there was a thing I read the other day about, please describe your job without describing what you do. And um, I describe my job as drinking coffee and talking rubbish. That's that's what I do. It's not quite true, even more so at Cubo level, because it is a side thing that you do. I'm not saying don't do anything, but it's really great to be able to help direct an organisation as part of a team and actually be able to say, yeah, but you're doing it. <laughs> And I'm not pretending that that's quite refreshing. I think it's really nice to have an excuse to talk to people from other places uh, as a personal level. That's absolutely fantastic. It's great. So I got invited to Scotland because we had our first real life event, sort of post COVID. Actually, I think there might have been one in London, but London was already covered. And because I'm closer to Scotland. So anyway, I went to there and it was lovely to go there. It's a genuine honour that people think that I have anything to say. I always sort of like, you know, you pinch yourself. And it's really nice that people will invite you, but then I can rob ideas off people. I mean, that's, that's what I go to do these things. So I think Hubo's been a, in a, a really interesting time. So COVID hit, we sat down as a board and went, oh, crikey, this is, this is a bit challenging. And it was. And actually, I think Hubo out of everything I've been dealt with, has not only learned, but has become infinitely stronger the other side of it because we were talking to UK and government about, you know, in Scotland, certainly the government spoke to Cuba members there a lot. In England, not so much, but we still got stuff out there that people about keeping students safe, about a, a number of things. We work with other sector organisations because, because you could do things online you could turn around and say, let's have an hour where we talk. So we work closely, we work with Usizer and Ord uh, and Buffdug and other associations where you can cross-fertilise ideas and experiences. Likewise, we've done lots and lots of round tables. That's been really, really great. I've had very little to do with it. You know, the team on the ground done it. But I think as an organisation, it's that helping set a direction do the proper leadership thing, actually. It's quite weird. On a day-to-day -day job, I think as a board member, certainly over COVID, it's been probably better as a, as a traditional leadership thing in some ways, where you sort of set direction and people do it. And, you know, it, it almost functions 
properly, uh, the day-to-day -day job is a little messier. I'm sure for Jan and the team on the ground, it's just as messy, if not messier still. But likewise, you know, something like that, for us as an organisation, we have three members of staff in three parts of the country. And that ability to do things digitally has made a huge difference to the way we, we do things. Sarah started in the last, I think, probably six months, but certainly during COVID, and only had met people in real life relatively recently and still has not met certain members of the board in real life because we haven't managed to come together properly yet. And I think that's an interesting thing about how we create organisations that are... And that is, that's what Cubo is about. It's about the network we, that, that we learn and influence. That's really what we're trying to do. And I found it a great source when I was in university but also I think for people out there that are, are looking at how can I develop my own career and, and leadership journey is to tap into all the various networks because higher education is great for having all different associations about all different things and and I always remember it was great to just go and talk to people about the challenges that they have and what they're experiencing and what they're doing. And it's also a great way to hear of any jobs that might be coming up. I think the other thing, though, is, is not to be afraid of these things. So contrary to so I'm talking to you and I, I often I think people think that I'm a very comfortable socialiser. I'm not first Cubo events. I certainly lurked around the edges comfortably in the corner, standing with a glass going, oh my God, what am I doing here? And I think, you know, finding your comfort at these things. And I think it's the very good thing is, is that understanding that everyone has to find their level, but going out there and listening. And the great thing with someone like Cuba is you can go to an event where you can learn and listen and not really be very active within it, but you're still getting something out of it. Or you can do lots of networking and actually go to practically none of the events, but you've just learned a lot by going networking. And I think it's finding your level that works for you and at different points in your career and personally for yourself. I think it's important to do the right thing for yourself at the time. It links back to what you were saying about when you uh working your way through Lancaster, saying yes and volunteering when, it, as you say, when it's right for you, but actually volunteering for these organisations because they do run on volunteers and it's a great way to develop yes. your knowledge, your network, your skills, everything that you need if you want to, to move on. Also, um, I think what you get out of them is infinitely greater than what you have to put in if I'm honest, what I've got out of Cubo has been brilliant. I'm not saying I don't put anything in, but I think what I get out is far greater. And if nothing else, to listen to really able colleagues and meet amazing people. I have I met some amazing people who really inspire me, who, you know, I have to name check Kirsty at uh, Leicester, who always amazed me when COVID hit and everyone was having difficulty. Leicester was the first locked down city in the country and they did amazing things. And, you know, I mean, all kinds of colleagues, but I have to say all the board members are inspirational in various ways to me. It's fabulous to spend time with these people. And I, I will be absolutely honest, steal ideas, compare, realise that actually we're not as good at that or do you know what, we're quite good at this, uh, and just be comfortable with it. I think that's one of the joys of being in, in higher education. Of course, it has its challenges and its frustrations, and we could go on about those for hours, but there are also so many joys. And I think the 
ability to share, to support, to learn from is brilliant. And every institution that I've worked at or worked with, everyone is slightly different and they have what I would call amazing superpowers and and then they're blind spots and they're different, but we can all learn from that. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that university is different, and certainly on the commercial side, is if you work in a commercial company, you will be in a market. And within that market, your competitors are competitors. And how much you lie like the people, they are the enemy. Universities are slightly different. We are in competition. Anyone who doesn't think we are doesn't really understand what's going on. But on a day-to-day level, we're not. In most cases, you know, you're not turning around saying, come to my cafe as opposed to someone else's cafe. There are some big questions about, you know, fundamentally, we're trying to make our universities attractive. At that level, we're in competition. I'm not going to pretend we're not. But on that day-to-day level, in terms of how you make your place better, we're very comfortable to beg, borrow and steal off each other. And I think that's a really refreshing thing to be able to do, that you can be relatively open. You can turn around to someone and say, have you got a policy on this? Someone go, yeah, fine, have it. I don't see probably Starbucks and Costa doing that for each other. No, absolutely not. (laughs) So moving tact again, obviously, you know, I inhabit this wonderful world where fish climb trees. So when for you, have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? I struggle with this. And the reason why I say I struggle with it is because I have a, if I'm honest, I, I, I have ups and downs. And when I'm up, I forget the downs. And so it's actually quite challenging to think where this is. I think it's having had a poor boss in the past. And I think there is resilience. And this too shall pass, I think, is the thing for me that I come back to, which is why, in one sense, I then forget those difficult times. Let me use an example. It's a very simple one. is January's. I hate January. And for for quite a few years, I used to find that in January, I I really struggled. And I then realised that I struggled in January. And now what happens in January is actually January is not too bad because there is a way through this that actually there are positive and good things that come. And that actually, love yourself, you're not rubbish, you do have capabilities, that you are a decent person, all those sorts of things that you have to, even though you don't, for me, don't feel it, you have to go back and sort of almost, it's not quite, you know, mantra, vocalise it, but there's an element of this too shall pass. And for me, that's the real deep dive and it's, this is almost, this is quite confessional, by the way, I think. I've suddenly realised this wasn't where I was going. Fantastic. Carry on. But I, I think it's also because I started off this conversation quite positive at the moment. I think the world is challenging, but I think that challenging within my sphere of influence, it's challenging and do something about, therefore it's quite positive. The challenge always is how you, dark night of the soul, whatever you call it, there are times in life that are difficult. I think for me, as I've got older, that's got easier because you have that resilience of remembering that you felt. I, you know, I will never I will never feel as miserable. Well, I like to think I will never feel as miserable as again as I did in my teens. That sort of 
gut-wrenching misery that, that you can have. You know, my ambition in life was to be happily bored. That's actually probably pretty much my life. I live a very boring life, but I'm really quite happy. I love the way you put that. And actually, that's a really good lesson, isn't it? That this too shall pass. So if you are hitting something that is where you've had to dive deep, that actually you will get through it and you will come out the other end. And then some people it stays with. But I have spoken to a lot of people already who've said, oh, I find that question really quite challenging because they deal with it and they move on. But this too shall pass. Love it. Yes. Thank you. So on the other end, having dived deep then, I don't know whether you can remember any of these. When have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? I said earlier about that pushing yourself out to put opportunities your way. And I think it's when you realise that imposter syndrome isn't entirely true. You're not all entirely an imposter. So each time progressing in a new job or a new role, the point at which you realise, actually... I can do this and that it's where the challenge has been. And I think in particular for me, it is that period into a role or at a point in change of any kind that you go, I can see that we've got somewhere that's just so much better than where, whatever it was, wherever we were. And it's cliche, be thankful for those things that you do achieve, acknowledge them, realize them, realize that, for yourself and it's not you know you don't, it, there's no sort of things like awards adulations don't care it's for yourself in yourself going actually yeah that's all right so going very far back to so my first job I booked the stone roses for a gig and complicated story behind it. and I remember the night they played the next day I had an interview for a job that I was doing so I said earlier, I got the job permanently. And this is before I got the job. So I remember seeing them playing on stage, standing on top of a chair going, oh my God, this is amazing. I've really done something. This is something in Lancaster, there's still one of the significant events because the Stone Roses have played relatively few gigs. So this was a massive thing at the time. And I felt like I achieved something. A sense of isolation that a few months before, I wouldn't have known what to start on doing this. And then I'd learn how to do that. So I think it's that taking through a process of learning, of stretching yourself. And again, there's lots of little things. The fact that when I applied for the job I've now got, I did the first hundred, you know, in the interview, the question, first hundred days. And I'm sure I said some very sensible things. I must have said something sensible. I got the job. One of the things I said was, you know, my ambition is to bring drinkable coffee to campus because it was undescribably bad. And we now have arguably too many good places for coffee on campus. And I'm sure someone will tell me, but there's a huge range of places and we spent a lot of time on doing that. And it's that sort of thing that makes you smile. I knew nothing about coffee, coffee machines. I just knew this is what a drinkable cup of coffee should be like. And then how do we get to that? It's always, I don't know how to do something. How do you get to it? And that's always the tree you climb. That's when you turn around. And go. But ironically, you get to the top and you go, oh, it wasn't a fish. I was a monkey after all. <laughs> love it thank you so much for the conversation today I could chat to you for hours and hours 
How can people get in touch with you? Well, I'll always say, because Cubo Conference is this summer, if you remember a Cubo, come to Cubo Conference, and it's at Lancaster, so even more so, because, uh, you know, I have to do a bit of a sales pitch. I think certainly via Cubo, in terms of there's message boards, there's also just generally j.hartman at lancaster.ac.uk, always happy to take emails. One of my bad habits is I do respond to emails. I occasionally use LinkedIn, and if someone messages me, I'll always respond to it. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, all it leaves me to say is thank you so much. I knew that this was going to be a brilliant conversation. I've so enjoyed it. What words of wisdom would you like to leave the listeners with today? I really, really hate this word, authentic. Sounds the most inauthentic word in the world when people talk about authentic leadership. It's a horrible, horrible word because you know it's cliched. But actually, and before coming on this, I was thinking it is the only kind of leadership you can be. You can't pretend to be what you are not. You have to understand your own personal strengths. There are some people who will look at Covey and look at that leadership and the sort of like seven habits or whatever it is and they'll look at the the way and they will be brilliant and they will do the planning and they will do the visioning and they will do this and I'm like going I can do some of that but I know that the things I have as strengths aren't necessarily those things and you have to play to your strengths in terms of leadership what are you good at if you're very good with people for example and then find brilliant people to work with who are good at the things that you're not. So authentic leadership is, for me, comes back down to, and I know some people who, if they ever saw this, would go, no, we don't believe you. What matters to me is making this place a great place to be. We'll make money as well, but actually, unless you make it a great place to be, people won't pay you money. So at the heart of it, that is the caring about the place and the people matters to me that may not be everyone else's some people will be brilliant at the planning and do an amazing job at that do what you can and be authentic thank you for listening to this week's episode of the dive deep climb high podcast with me mel luizu to help build our community of leadership listeners please leave me an apple podcast five-star review remember our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't.